And I think I was on my lunch break at Calm, and, and so I'm like, fine, let me jump on the call for 10 minutes, find out what this, what this guy really wants. And he wanted to download some of our data that we put together around ASN names, and we were showing it on the website. And he said, well, you, you, I see that your data there's really good. Can we just buy this as a download? And I just thought, well, it seems to be a huge pain, right? Like, we haven't set up anything for this. And, and so I was just like, well, I'll give him my, like, my get lost pricing, right? I was like, fine, yeah, that'd be a thousand bucks a month. And he's like, great, you know, tell me where I send the money. Welcome to SaaS Origin Stories. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with founders as they share stories from the earlier days of their SaaS startups. We'll cover painful challenges, early wins, and actionable takeaways. You'll hear firsthand the do's and don'ts of building and growing a SaaS, as well as inspirational stories to fuel you on your own SaaS journey. Here is your host, Phil Alves. What's up, guys? I'm excited to chat today with Dan Dualen from IP Info. We're going to go deeper into the company story and how they become who they are today. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks, Phil. Great to be here. Yeah, excited to chat to you about, about IP Info today. Yeah, so Ben, the first question I like to ask founders, it's what problem does your company solve? Cool, yeah. So, what, I mean, what we're focused on today at IP Info is just creating tons of great contextual data around IP addresses. And so that includes data like geolocation. So given an IP address, you know, where in the world is it? Is an IP address in Seattle, uh, in London, or wherever it might be? Um, but then increasingly, we're seeing the importance in additional contextual data beyond just location. So is this IP address a VPN? Is it a mobile carrier? Um, and so you know, what we focus on at IP Info is creating really great, high-quality data about IP addresses, and then making it easy for customers to get access to that data, whether it's through our API that handles 100 billion API requests a month, whether it's a data download, or through through partners and other services like like our data is now available in the Snowflake data marketplace. So walk me through the use cases. I understand I'm getting all this data from the IP. Someone visiting a web application or a mobile application. Yeah. But what do I do with that information? How companies are usually using that information? Yeah, sure. So tons of different use cases, right? So we we focus as a company on making sure our data is great, and then leaving like how customers want to use it to them. And and that the, the, you know, there's a bunch of different use cases um, that it's useful for. Some common ones are things like website personalization. So you know, often uh, people will embed call through API on their website. So a visitor goes to their website, you know, types in the address, uh, the page loads in the, the the user's browser. It makes a call to our API and responds with information about the user's IP to, back to the web page. So it will say, you know, this is a visitor uh, from Seattle that's on a, you know, this is their ISP and a few other details. And then the the website content can be personalized based on that. So instead, you know, it could say, uh, you know. Good afternoon in Seattle, or you know, good good night in uh, London, based on the location. Uh, could could customize other things like the language or the currency of an offer, or it may even personalize it in terms of not making any user visible changes, but maybe switching out you know a link from Amazon.com to Amazon.co.uk depending on the, the user's country. So that's that's a common one is, is website personalization. Uh, that's probably the most common use case when people use our API. Certainly in the browser, you know they'll they want to update the content of website. But, you know, lots and lots of other use cases, including cybersecurity use cases. So you have someone seeing um, an attack on their network. They may want to say, well, hey, you know, what's going on here? You know, I want to find out more about this IP address that has maybe you know, put the wrong password in 10 times. You know, is this, um, is this an IP address that's in the location that we've seen employees log in before? Maybe it's someone that's forgetful. You know, someone's kids grab their laptop or whatever and it's hitting the keyboard. Or is this, you know, um, coming from a foreign country where we know we have no employees. And so, you know, we want to kind of do something differently with this. Um Content enforcement. So, you know, obviously services like Netflix and things, you know, they'll, they'll have different content in different countries. Lots of people use VPNs to, to bypass that. And so you'll be able to flag, you know, is this an IP address uh, in the US? 
yeah, we'll tell you if it's in the US or somewhere else, and then we give you a VPN detection and data sets as what is it really, right? Is this actually you know a user that's in the US or is this a US IP that happens to be on a VPN? So content enforcement and restrictions is a big one. And then things like uh, fraud uh, and, and I guess risk is a broad category. So you that could be payment fraud, uh, it could be sort of spam and abuse stuff on, on website forums and, and all sorts of, of different cases where you know, there's an IP address that, that someone has but they need broader context around it to be able to make a better decision or, or provide a better experience. And so, yeah, tons of, of, of really interesting different use cases. And we learn about new ones all the time. We had a customer we've spoken to recently um, that runs a CDN and they wanted to use our data to you know, improve the efficiency and, and the speed response of our CDN. So we always learn about new exciting use cases and, and interesting things people do with our data. Nice. I actually, um, before my past life, I was a software developer and I built something for e-commerce. It was a fraud detector. So the way that worked was we got an order that was too big. We checked the IP. If the IP was weird, the IP was from a VPN, it could be a fraud. Then I would send an email and ask to double check that the credit card was real. I would just charge like a couple of cents of the credit card uh, and make sure that the person was actually a real person. But we would use the IP information to kind of like, was the first thing that we used to flag as a risk yeah. uh, account, yeah. you know, so, and it start from there. And so... Yeah, that's a pretty amazing product. And are you guys use how big are your guys today? Like, I saw a lot of big logos on your site. Yeah, we've got lots of lots of big customers um, and you know, growing customer base. As in terms of company, we're about thirty people now. Um, we're completely remote and you know, distributed team all over the world. Have been since day one. Um, and yeah, I think we just reached about thirty people um, working for IPM for now. Nice. And, and could you mention some of your big customers that I saw in your site for people listening to the show? Yeah, we've got lots and lots of big customers. We've got um, customers all the way from sort of traditional big customers. You know, we've got, uh, I think, John Deere, that is like, you know, the world's biggest farm equipment manufacturer, uh, which is a fun one. Uh, we've got sort of uh, different automotive companies. We've got Daimler. We've got um, Scania. Um, so, you know, lots of big old traditional companies, lots of uh, interesting technology companies, lots of um, companies that make products, Datadog are a, a customer, um tons of you know, banks financial service industries um like a whole whole you know huge um set of, of customers in all sorts of different industries tech startups all sorts of interesting stuff so uh you know i think we, we, we're at a point now where you know if there's an industry you know, we've probably got some of the companies in that industry kind of working with us which is a really exciting place to be that's super exciting so now let's talk a little bit about the origin story now we understand the business where you guys are today and and how big you guys are what were you doing before you start this business? Like starting with yourself, like what were you at before you start this? Yes, yeah, so my background is uh, you know software engineer. Went to university, did computer science. You know, got a, got a job as a developer, um, and you know, always wanted to to, to you know, hone my craft and be a better engineer. You know, read books about best practices. Um, but one of the best ways I found to learn was just to kind of work on side projects. And you know, initially that just started um as a way to you know improve my engineering skills and, and you know just have fun building stuff um but then you have know, time started doing more and more side projects and, and wanted them to be sort of successful you know and so i had a couple of, of jobs as a, as a software engineer and then went and start working with some startups uh learning about the, the world of startups and then you know, had dreams of, of creating my own startup and, and you're hoping that, that one of my side projects would eventually become a business launched lots of different startups with all sorts of uh, sorry lots of side projects um, with all sorts of different levels of success, some zero success, you know, some got some some traction, some users, but no revenue. Some got a little bit of revenue, um, some a little bit more, but you know, none that sort of really took off. Um, and then IP Info was one strangely that I 
really didn't have any ambitions for. I never, you know, a lot of my projects are like, this is going to be the one, you know, then nothing would happen with it. Um, whereas IP Info, that sort of started because I had, you know, a handful of side projects on, on the go um, and needed geolocation data for them. And so, you know, there's freely available geolocation data sets online that you can download and you'd have to set it up on a server. Um, and, you know, maybe it'd been within six months or whatever, I had to set it up on a new server and it was a pain. Um, and so I thought, well, there's got to be a better way to do this. So we can wrap this up into an API, put it on one server, and it'll make my life easier and may make other people's lives easier. Um, and sort of did that. And it started to get a lot of traction. A lot of people started using it. And then it sort of pulled me towards it and, and ended up spending more time on it. it ended up, you know, going into, into, a, into a business and then something that I focused on full time. And so, yeah, my background is, is an engineer, uh, gravitated towards doing side projects and building things. And then eventually was building IP info and that that happened to sort of you know build up enough traction and demand that, that that's what I ended up focusing on and, and you know now spending all my time on. That's awesome. So so basically you build a product for your own each. As you're building these other products, you're like, hey, I need this IP data and you just didn't found anything that was maybe similar how you want. And you felt like if I wrap the information in API and I can use in my other products, that, that was like the original idea. Yeah. And so actually, so there were, there were kind of two, two different things that con- converged. So that was the sort of you know, the, the, the thinking of, of turning this into a product and stuff. The other thing that happened, um, the other sort of thing that, that triggered this was I was staying uh, in a hotel and I got an ad. Um, I think I was actually staying in Seattle. I wasn't living in Seattle at the time, but I was staying in a hotel in Seattle and I saw an ad on my laptop that was for something in Texas. And I thought, well, that's really odd. Why am I seeing an ad for, for, for something in Texas, right? You know, is this uh, bad ad targeting? Is this, you know, just, you know, what's going on here? You know, and the first thing is, well, hey, you know, maybe I'm actually am on a Texas IP. You know, what's going on here? Am I, is the hotel Wi-Fi actually going back through, you know, through Texas? Or, you know, is this, is the, the hotel a Texas company? I was just really curious about it. And so I spent about an hour just Googling, like, show my IP address on a map. Um, and, like, I think an hour later, I almost gave up because, you know, I, like, I hadn't found anything. And, and you know, um, and I had been working on these side projects. So I had, you know, three or four that had this data on these different servers. And so I was like, instead of finding this website that I still can't find after an hour, you know, I can just actually go and connect to one of these servers, look up the data in the database and, and find out what's going on. Um but even that was a pain. I was like, well, I know the data's there, but it was a pain. And so that's when those sort of two things converged. I'm like, okay, there's got to be a way where I can just quickly go and put an IP address somewhere, see it on a map. It would save me all these headaches with having to connect to these servers. And so that that very night, I sort of registered the domain and built the very first basic version of the website that was just, you know, it showed your IP address and showed it on a map. And it turned out the map showed me in Seattle. And so I was like, okay, that's just bad ad targeting. And, and you know, but at least now uh, I know where I can go to check this in the future. Uh, and the sort of, you know, it, it grew out of that. So that was the very first version. And then it was like, actually, you know, now I can make this website have an API so that then I haven't got to go set this up in the future. Um, and then I posted about it to, to Stack Overflow. I thought, hey, there's probably other people that have been through this pain point of having to set this up and look this up. You know, why don't I just say, hey, heads up, this saved me, you know, an hour. Let me save you an hour as well. You know, just call my API. It, it's free. It's, it's just on my server. Um, you know, come play with it. It might be useful for you. And a couple of weeks later, you know, it was getting a lot of traction. A lot of people were using it. I think I got an email from uh, my, you know, cheap $5 month server provider saying, hey, you know, you, you, you've hit your, your limits. You know, I can't remember if it's traffic or CPU limits. I thought I was probably a bug in the code or something's gone wrong. You know, I checked the server <laughs> logs and there's millions of requests coming through. Um, I thought, wow, you know, this, is, this has got some traction. Let me go upgrade the server. Um, and it continued to grow. And I noticed that, you know, there were some people calling it, you know, millions of times a day. And I thought it'd just be people like me that, you know, 
oh, I'll call it a hundred times a day you know, for my for my blog or, or you know something. There'll be some other developers that would save some time. But I was noticing that there were some people calling it you know millions of times a day, and I thought, well, they've got you know a, a pretty big need for using this, or you know they're certainly using it at high volumes. Um, you know, I've upgraded the server, but but you know, is is there more demand for this? Um, and actually, was, was talking to my wife. My wife likes to, to to get full credit for the fact that she suggested the paid plans. So I'm like, wow, you know, this is taking off. You know, she's like, we just had some paid plans. I was like, well, I don't know if anybody's going to pay for it. And she's like, we well, just try it. So you know, I launched some paid plans. Um, I didn't know what to charge for it because you know it had been this free service, and I had no idea you know how much people would want to use it. And so I just created all the paid plans. I was like, well, maybe for ten bucks a month, you know, you get some more requests. Go you know, for. 50 bucks a month, you get even more. And for 100 bucks a month, you get more. Uh, there was no enforcement. So, you know, even at this point, you could carry on using it for free forever, right? I hadn't bothered to go build out any rate limits or anything. I just thought, well, hey, put some pay plans on and, and, and see, you know, what can I build in an afternoon and, and see if it gets any traction. Um, and had, you know, no high hopes for it. I was just like, well, I'll chuck it out and see what happens um, on the, the, you know, the great suggestion of my wife. And then I think within a week, you know, I started getting people signing up and paying. And so that was like, okay, that, this is this is interesting, right? You know, even though at this point it's not enforced, they don't even really have to, to pay. Um, even though that you know I haven't beyond kind of posting about it on Stack Overflow and, and a few developer forums, haven't really done any marketing or anything. Um, the website is very bare bones, um, but you know there, there was clearly something there that, that pretty quickly um, it was getting you know getting some some paid plans. Um, and then I think so. Then I was like, well, hundred dollar plan. Yeah, let's go with a two hundred dollar plan, right? That's the most anybody would pay you, yeah, but surely no one will pay for it. And I think within a week of, of putting that there, um, we got Tesla Motors. So it was before it was Tesla.com, it was Tesla-Motors.com. They signed up for the $200 a month plan. Um, and I remember that, that coming through and thinking, wow, you know, this isn't just a sort of small developer hobbyist thing, you know, that there's actually this need, um, you know, the, the pain point of having to download data and, and keep it updated and provision a server for this isn't just, you know, a pain point that I've felt. This exists in you know large corporations where they've got to go to the IT department and say, hey, can you provision us a server? They've got to go and figure all this stuff out. Um, it, you know, it's just so much easier for them to say, hey, we'll put this on a company credit card and not have to worry about it. Um, and so we had you know eBay signed up pretty quickly and some other companies. Um, and so that, that's that's when it's like, okay, yeah, this is you know worth spending some more time on. This is you know an interesting problem space and there's there's some growing demand for it. So, so walk me through the timeline. That's pretty amazing. So like you built something and it looks like you're just like, oh, I built something cool. I'm going to share it with other developers. You didn't think that would be a business. Yeah. And so from the time that you post that up to the time that I start to get some traction to the time that you also now start charging, how long did the whole thing take? I would say that was a matter of months. A matter of months. Yeah. So like... And at that point, like you just like that, you didn't thought that was a business. It was just you, a developer, trying to share for the developers what you build, or did you think that could be a business at any point? So I think I at this point thought that yeah, you know the the first launch against APIs, it's like this will save some developers some time, you know, and and it's fun, you know. Um, then yeah, probably within weeks it was getting traction. So I thought I should add some some paid plans, you know. So maybe that was a month or two months, and then you know within weeks of launching the paid plans, it was getting people were, were subscribing and I had, you know, some more paid plans at higher prices and people subscribed. And so at that point, it was pretty clear to me that, okay, I, I underestimated this, right? This is, this is exciting. But still at that point, I had no sort of idea of the scale. I thought, well, great. You know, I've, I've got a few customers that have signed up and are paying, um, you know, it's, it's covering the cost of servers and it's, you know, worth a bit of more of my time to, you know, keep spending time on it. Um, but I thought, well, you know, this is just, you know, an early wave of, of you know, the first 10 customers or whatever, 
um, you know, it won't, it won't necessarily keep going. Right. Um, and you know, this is just something I've knocked up in a, in a weekend, you know, this, this is not a, a serious business or whatever. And so it happens sort of very organically that the realization that, okay, there's this, this sort of real need and, and a real defensible business here. Um, and it continued to evolve over time. So first it was, you know, okay, we've got these customers paying, but you know, what's happening. And then a few different things were happening. So one was, um, understanding the value in the data. So initially, you know, we were just downloading this free data that you could get online and, and, you know, making it easy to consume the data that existed. And so the, what, you know, the value that we were creating was making that easier to consume in a very developer friendly way and, and, you know, in a, in a well designed and, and making it really reliable so that, you know, we made sure the API never went down. You could trust it, rely on it and remove the sort of operational headaches. Um, but pretty soon after we started getting feedback, people saying, well, I love your API. It's great, but your data sucks. And I would say, well, hey, that's that's not our problem, right? We just download the data, um, you know, go complain to whoever makes the data, right? We just make sure it's a nice API. And the other thing was people would say, well, I love that you give me a location, but I want to know more. I want to know, you know, is this, um, is this a VPN or not? You know, is this a, a household or not? You know, is this a university or not? And so then I started looking into, okay, well, I, that sounds like a fun problem, right? You know, can, can, we, can we even figure that out? You know, what, what, what can we do there? Um, and so sort of spent more and more time into looking into, okay, well, why, why is the location wrong here? You know, this customer's telling us that, you know, they know they're in Miami, but we're showing them that we are in, you know, that they're in, you know, New York. How is this data even put together? You know, could we, could we identify Miami and, and not New York? Um, and so, you know, started doing a lot of work around, well, you know, let's actually create our own data. You know, let's make sure that we've got great quality data. Um, let's start creating new data sets that aren't just you. Know, is this Miami or New York? Is this a VPN or you? Know, is this a mobile carrier? And, and the other piece of data that our customers wanted to go solve, you know, their use cases, whether that be fraud or cybersecurity or website personalizations, the things that would be useful for them. And so then started you know, really building up a lot of expertise and, and quality in the data itself. And as you're building that up, this is still a side project, or did you already left your job, or like for how long did they stay a side project? Yes, yeah, so it stayed a side project for um, probably about a couple of years, and so it was um, the the sort of decision to go and shift it full time was um, at the point that you know it's already past making the, my salary, you know, and so you know at this point I think I had three kids, right, three young kids. Um, I had a you know a great job in Silicon Valley. Uh, this was a side project. It was a great side project. It wasn't clear it was worth sort of leaving my job for and everything right like early on. Uh, after sort of two and a half years, it got a lot of traction and it was kind of by that point, I was it, it felt like it wasn't going to slow down. Right. You know, sort of in the early days, it's like, well, cool, it's got some customers. But, you know, is it really a big opportunity and it might slow down after two and a half years? It was pretty clear to me at that point that, hey, it was it was picking up pace rather than slowing down. Right. Um, and, you know, for for. for you know, the end, the end part of that was commuting up from, from Mountain View to San Francisco on the cow train every day. So it's, you know, an hour on the train there, an hour on the train back. And so in the early days, I'd be, you know, doing some IP info work in the mornings on the train, getting to work, doing work, and then, you know, on the train train home, probably doing a bit of my, my day job work. And then it got, to, and that work in the mornings would be like a bit of programming, you know. And then over time, you know, in the morning, I'd be answering, you know, customer support emails or sales inquiries. Um, and then I get to work, do my work day job, and then I get the train back and do a bit of programming or whatever. And so over time, like by, by the end, you know, I would, I, I, on the cow train in the mornings that took an hour, I hadn't even got through all the customer emails, right? Like I, I'd, I'd still, you know, and then I'd be at work and then I'd be still be answering those emails on the way back. 
And so it, it clearly got to sort of like a crunch point where it's like, okay, yeah, this is, this is demanding too much of my time now, right? Either, you know, I got to, or it's at least clear that I'm sort of hurting IP info by not giving it more attention. And so, you know, I can either do that or not. And I, I, I thought, yeah, you know, it seems to me that it's, it's got enough potential at this point. There's a lot of momentum still building. Um, you know, there's, there's a clearly a, an opportunity to create a bigger business around it. Um, and so you have to, at that point, I was like, cool, you know, I'll go do this full time and focus on it. Okay. So walk me through making that decision, because I, I think you were the CTO of Calm at this time, yeah. right? I'm sure you had equity. That's a company that's growing. Yeah. And you have your, your side project, you had wife, you have kids. So like, walk me through, make that decision to live such a good job to go make your own thing. And also, uh, you being a tech guy, now you're going to go become a CEO. And yeah. the last thing you're going to do is write code. Yeah. <laughs> so like, walk me through making that decision. Yeah, so it was, um, it was an easy decision by the point I'd made it after a couple of years, right? But obviously, you know, it was, you know so a bunch of things aligned and there was definitely a bunch of thought that had gone into it. So I think a few of the things were, you know, I'd always dreamed of running my own business, right? I'd done all these side projects and, you know, that was the ultimate goal, right? You know, to, um, you know, have sort of control my own destiny, to create my own thing, right? There's a lot of motivation around around wanting to do that. And, and so, you know, I had this opportunity to be able to go and do that. Um, and so that was very exciting. Um, there was the, the, the trade-off. Yeah, you know, I was CTO at Carl at the time that was, you know, growing and, and, and you know, sort of just starting to be very successful and, and, and get a bunch of awareness. But in my two years at Calm, I sort of we'd, we'd gone from a point where I joined where you know it was it was it was a fantastic idea and and it started to get some good traction. But you know it had a very buggy app and there were all sorts of issues with it and you know there was a, a tiny engineering team. And so you know at the point I was leaving, like we had a really solid app, really great engineering team. And so I felt that you know like like I delivered you know a lot of the the sort of value I could deliver, right? I felt I was leaving Calm in a really great place that you know sort of the hard work that needed to be done, I'd sort of done that, right? And, and sure, there was tons of work ahead, but, you know, the, the sort of, you know, sort of turning around the engineering team and getting the app to a really good place has sort of been done. And so the timing felt good from that perspective that, you know, I would be leaving them in a really good place. And then the timing felt good from the IP info perspective of like, hey, this is pulling me towards it more and more and more. And so I think that, you know, the, the timing was sort of right on both sides of like, okay, I'm leaving Calm in a good place. IP info sort of really needs me now. And the other piece was I got to a... And, you know, at that point, it wasn't. It still wasn't clear. You know how large the opportunity was at IP Info. Um, you know, is you know, and like I say, today we're we're thirty people. You know, at that point, I didn't know if you know. I knew that IP Info could support me and and my family. You know, and I could run it as a as a single person business and probably hire a few people. And and you know, it could be a, a nice project. It wasn't clear if we could support a thirty person team or you know, hundred person team or you know, however however kind of big we're going to get. Um, but it was clear that someone I wanted to find out, right? That I had this opportunity to kind of create my own thing, focus on it. Um, it was a problem space that I really love working in, right? You know, that, that, okay, let's, you know, what else can we find out about IP addresses, right? There are all these diverse different use cases that people use us for. Um, there's a real opportunity and a need to create great data around this. You know, we kept getting this feedback. Hey, the existing data sucks. You know, it'd be so much better if we had good data. Um, and like going and creating great data seemed like a, a fun problem to solve. Um, an interesting problem to solve and a valuable problem to solve. Um, and, you know, one that, you know, I could get started as, as a one person company, right. And, and, and could, could kind of make some progress on there and kind of seeing where that would get to um, seemed like a, a really fun problem uh, and something I wanted to kind of dedicate some time to. So I think all those things sort of aligned. Um, I, I didn't jump into it. You know, I definitely, you know, it wasn't one of my like, Hey, this is great. I can go do it. I sort of had really de-risked it by that point in terms of like, can this be viable? You know, can, um, is, am I going to enjoy it? You know, am I, am I leaving calm in a good place? 
Um, and the other thing as well was around around you know fundraising, right? So um, one thing, you know, IPO was bootstrapped, right? Been been profitable from from the start. Always always maintained profitability, um, and, and that was important to me because what I'd seen, you know, I'd, 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 you know, Calm was obviously venture backed. I'd worked at other venture backed startups, um, and and you know have no nothing against venture backed business. I think it can be a, a fantastic tool. But one thing I wanted to do was if I'm gonna you know leave the world of startups and, and go work on IP info, my own one. I wanted that to be sort of what I wanted to focus on. You know, I wanted to create something that I wanted to work on, a company where I wanted to work, um, the environment that I wanted to work in, and was in no rush to sort of, you know, oh, let's see how big we can make it in a couple of years, and then, well, maybe we sell it or maybe whatever. It's like, well, this seems like a really great area to work in, a really great problem to go solve, a really great kind of business that we can create. I'm happy to do that for 10, 20 years, whatever it may be. And so I don't want to be in a position where we go raise a bunch of money and there's always pressure put on us and we've got to figure stuff out. And, you know, in five years time, maybe we have to sell it or maybe we will have to go get different jobs or whatever. Um, and so I want to kind of create that space to say, well, look, let's, let's discover, you know, what the opportunity is, how we want to go about it um, and, and, and take our time. Um, and so that's what we've been doing. And it's, it's worked out well for us. I think it doesn't work well in every industry. Some of there's a ton of competition, these different things. Um, but that was a really important thing as well for, for me was, okay, let's just bootstrap this. Let's you know, take our time. We don't have to be in a rush. Let's create something that's sort of really long-term and enduring and, and, you know, create really quality data that solves a really important need. And, and you know, that we don't have to be in a, a huge rush about it. Yeah, I love the process because basically you, you build the company on the side to the point that could support you. Uh, so when it wasn't making enough money, it's okay. You had a job. And then once was making enough money to support you, now you can do without investors. You yeah. can keep bootstrapping that company. And, and I think that's maybe a path that people could take more, right? Like sometimes we are like trying to move too quick yeah. and, and that doesn't help us, especially like looks like you're trying to create also an environment where you love to work, even if never become the company that become today. You, you just want to come, even if it's a one-person company, and do what you love. Uh, and that was like the business was optimized for you, not for investors from the beginning, right? Yeah, totally. Did you ever raise money or you're bootstrapping until today? Still bootstrap, yeah. And um, you know, we, we've had a lot of interest from, from investors over the years. You know, we're probably... Um, you know, at this point, a very investable business, right? You know, I mean, in those early days, it just me, maybe not, right? It wasn't clear the, the sort of scale we could get to. Um, but, you know, not saying we would never raise investment, but we've really got no need now, right? You know, we're sort of at the scale where we're, you know, we've got a great team, we're growing at a, a really nice pace, we've got lots of great customers, um, and you're know, sort of in control of our own destiny, right? We can kind of take these long term bets, think long term. Um, and yeah, you know, no need to, to raise investment or, you know, kind of kind of give away control of a business or, you know, have to worry about hitting certain milestones or whatever. And kind of, yeah, really make sure we've got that environment that, that, you know, everybody at the company likes and we're focused on sort of building that long-term success instead of focusing on some shorter term goals. And of course, you already touched a little bit on that, but I would like to make a little bit of a comparison mm. because you came from like the VC funded startups and now you're bootstrapping a company. Uh, but what do you think kind of like are the main differences and what's the main reasons that you want to stay bootstrapped for now? Like what, what are the big plus for you? Yeah, so I think the obviously the, a big advantage with raising money is you get to compress time, right? And so you know, I've been working on IPM for I think maybe it's, must be eight years now, maybe nine years, right? Um, now it's, we can, I can connect the dot back, dots backwards, right? And now I'm aware of the opportunity where we are and I can say, well, hey, you know, Maybe eight or nine years ago, I should have just gone and raised some money, and and we could have compressed it down to two or three years, right? Um, 
which may have been true. I think, you know, for me, I certainly didn't, wasn't aware of the full opportunity. And so, you know, we, we could easily have compressed time and we'd have gone in completely the wrong di- direction and, and blown everything up after two years, right? So, but I think that, that obviously, you know, raising capital gives you a bunch of resources and you can go higher faster and, and you accelerate timelines, which, you know, can be, um, obviously, you know, helps with things. Um, and it can be critical, I think, in some industries, you know, if you've got a bunch of well-funded competitors as well, you know, it can be very hard to compete if, if you haven't got any funding. Um, if you're in, you know, certain environments where, um, you know, there are network effects or whatever, where speed is really of the essence, you know, obviously having having more resources helps you, you know, hit your goals faster. Um, I do think the, you know, certainly for IP Info, you know, I talked about how we started as, you know, an API uh, that was free and then we added paid plans, you know, and then, then we started investing our data and making our data really great, you know. A huge part of our business today is sort of licensing our data to different platforms and services and, and data downloads and things, which, you know, that was that's a, a, a new part of our business say, two or, in the past two or three years. And, you know, I think the nice thing with sort of going at the, the, the sort of the pace that we're going at, which is, you know, we're, hey, we're, you know, we're growing, I guess, quickly for a bootstrap business, but, but you know, sort of we haven't sort of had this injection of capital to kind of accelerate things faster. Is that you get to identify these opportunities as you go along. You get to sort of incrementally build out what you're working on. Um, and I think you know, it gives you more time for sort of exploration of the problem space um, and sort of allows you to not to need a sort of well-defined plan up front, right? And say, hey, here's the opportunity we're going after and we're going to go get it. And I think if you've got that, hey, here's, the op- here's what we're going after and we're going to go get it and we just need money to go do it, that's great. That's what you should do, right? But I think that's certainly not been the journey that IP Info has been on. It's been like, hey, we know there's value in creating this data. Um, we know that we can do a really good job of solving these problems, and we're going to go figure out the rest as we go along. And you know, and we, we believe there's an opportunity there. We'll go figure out how big that is, and and you know, all those kind of things. Um, and I think for me personally, it's a really fun way to go about it. Um, I think there are probably space for lots and lots of businesses like that. Um, and I think it's a you know, it, it doesn't have to be. Uh, you know, the, the VC path is a great path as well, right? For people that are like, I've got this vision. I want you. Know, I want to find out if it's going to work in the next three years or not, right? And I want to either be a big success or go try a different business. Uh, and that's a completely sensible way to to do that if that's if that's how you want to operate. Um, but for me, you know, I didn't want to say, well, hey, let's go see if I could be info could be big, and in three years' time, um, if it's not, I want to go do something else. So I'm like, I really love this idea. I, I I love building this business, and I want to keep doing it. I don't want to, you know, be doing something different in three years. I want to do this and figure out how to make it work, um, and and want time to do that, and want time to to you know learn more about our customers' problems and how we can help them more, and how we can improve our data, um, and how we can you know continue to expand the business in that sort of sustainable way. Um, that means we're going to be around long term and create something really really valuable. For sure, I, I love your insight about speed because it's kind of like when you're going fast you could crash because you're making decisions and if you make the wrong decision, you crash and it's over. When you're going slower, you have time to course correct, even if you make yeah. a, a wrong decision. And that leads to my next question. So now you become a one-person business and then you go and start doing hires. Who was your first hire and how was that process of like getting to the first hire after you went full-time on IP Info? Yes, yeah, so we did it. That that also happened pretty organically, right? So this is, a, I guess, a theme in IP Info is sort of how we've operated is 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 done things very organically. And so, you know, in terms of you know spending more and more time on it, and then you know evolving the product, evolving the customers, and the same is true of hiring. So there was never this sort of like moment where it's like, okay, now I've got to go build a team, right? It was you know once I started working at full time uh, for the whole first year after, I think it was it was you know mostly it was just me working at full time, but there were obvious places where you know 
I could get help on things. And so, you know, I just started hiring contractors for very specific things. And so first was, you know, well, we need a logo. You know, I think I set up on, you know, 99 designs, you'll go, go pay someone to make a logo. Um, and then it was like, well, you know, my front end skills suck. You know, we've got some basic bootstrap website that has, you know, an example of the API output on there. But that should be better, right? And so it's like, well, you know, let's go on Upwork and find a contractor that, you know, we can hire for 10 hours to make our, you know, website a little bit prettier and improve the front end stuff. Um, and then it was, you know, oh, well, the, you know, I've got this database query that's really slow. Well, let me go find a, an expert that can, you know, tune up our database queries. And so that was sort of initially how it sort of grew from being me doing everything to, you know, me having some help was just very specific project based things or, you know, logo, database query, you know, just finding contractors to, to chip away at these little things. And then over time, some of those were great. And it's like, oh, let me give you another project, right? And, and then over time, some of those evolved into part-time roles and then some of those to full-time. Um, I think the, the, the bigger sort of thresholds were, you know, go and hire my, my first sort of um, full-time sales guy was a big one, right? Where it's, okay, let's, you know, I don't know if you know, we've got this sales stuff that's working. It's taking a bunch of my time. I, I actually want to go make the product better at this point, right? Can I just go get someone to help with sales? Um, and so that was more difficult because then I'm sort of completely out of my comfort zone in terms of like, you know, have, you know, mostly worked at kind of consumer startups and tech companies, not interacted with a ton of sales guys or work with great sales guys or, you know, even know how to evaluate a great sales guy. Right. So I know I need one. I'm spending more and more of my time on sales calls and, and, you know, uh, it's like, well, Hey, there's, there's, you know, enough time here that I could hire a full-time person. And so then that's a whole process of, you know, well, where do I even go find sales guys, right? Where do I go? How do I evaluate them? You know, what, what, what should they look like? Um, so, you know, there's some, some, some hard work around that, around you know, learning all, the, all that sort of different stuff. Um, but yeah, I think the team grew very organically from, from like, okay, well, there's clearly a need here, right? Like it's taking up too much of my time to do sales. Let's go find a sales guy. Or, you know, there's, um, you know, the, the, the website looks rubbish. Let's go hire someone to make it look better. Or, you know, Here's a project, um, you know, with with our data. Let's go hire someone to do that. And a lot of those, you know, a lot of those people that started the projects just did the projects, but you know, they moved it forward and it's like, okay, well, maybe there's a need to go and hire a contract to work part time on this now, or maybe there's a need for a full time contractor. And then you know, some of the great full time contractors who work with said, hey, why don't you just you know come come work for us now? It's enough work. You enjoy doing it. You're great at it. And so it sort of evolved pretty organically like that. And until so obviously at a point where it's like, okay, well, now we've got. 15 contractors, let's go hire a couple of full-time people to take on some of that work. And so, yeah, and then before we know it, we're, you know, 30 people all around the world. That's great. And that's a great strategy, right? Contract to hire when do you need, not because you have to hit a number of how many people you're supposed to have in your business. Uh, and so you, you touch on sales and you, before you talk about how it was super organic, you post in the forum, but how did it develop like your customer acquisition strategy uh, until now you were having sales calls, people are not signing up anymore, like, how did that work? Because that's another thing the founders, is, especially if they're technical, like like you are, like I am, like, okay, I can build products all day long, but how we sell this? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, walk us through, like, how did you get your customer acquisition? I learned that the, the hard way, right? And so, um, you know, initially, I, I, you know, when I added these paid plans, you know, I just used the Stripe API and everything, right? It's all self-serve. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm doing this as a project. I don't want to jump on sales calls. You know, it's like, hey, get your credit card out, put it in the website, you know, uh, email if you've got a problem. Um, and I had a, a really persistent customer that, you know, at this point they, they emailed me a few times and they were, you know, they wanted to, to buy some some data um, and they emailed me and said, hey, can we jump on the phone? And I said, no, you know, the, the, um, 
go go put your credit card on the website. You can do anything you want there. Like, no, I really wanted to, to jump on the phone. You know, I got to ask you a few questions. Um, I think it's continued for a couple of weeks. Like, no, you know, we don't we don't do phone calls, right? This is a, a side project. I'm busy at work. Um, but they're really persistent. And so eventually, I'm like, fine. You know, this will, this will they'll go away if I jump on a call. And I think I was on my lunch break, you know, at, at Calm, and and so I'm like, fine. Let me jump on the call for ten minutes, find out what this, what this guy really wants. And he wanted to download some of our, some of our data that we put together around um, ASN names, and we were showing it on the website. And he said, well, you, you I see that your data there's really good. Um, can we can we just buy this as a download? Um, and I just thought, well, it seems to be a huge pain, right? Like I've got, we haven't set up anything for this, and and so I was just like, well, I'll give him my like my my get lost pricing, right? I was like, fine, yeah, that'd be a thousand bucks a month. And he's like, great, you know, tell me where I send the money. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh wow, you know, like like uh, I obviously I should have asked for more because like they didn't even blink. Um, and maybe it's worth me jumping on a few more of these phone calls, right? That that actually, you know, that the, the my impression and you know spoke to lots of other sort of engineer founders, right? Where the, the sort of the whole impression of enterprise sales and jumping on phone calls is that you know you're gonna have these very demanding customers that want to ask you a bunch of questions, do all these things. Um, which is true, but then they just want to pay the self-serve pricing, which isn't true, right? They're very happy to pay more because you're solving normally real business problems for them, um, and it's very valuable to them. Um, and so I sort of learned that on that call that, you know, okay, if it's not worth me spending a bunch of my lunch break chatting to someone that can just pay the, the 50 bucks on the website, but generally the people that want to call are, are, are trying to do something a bit custom, something a bit different, um, and, you know, they're generally, you know, highly paid professionals in large enterprises that have got a problem that they're you know that, that is difficult to solve which is why they're even asking you to jump on a call on your lunch break to solve it right that is normally really valuable to them and you know when you throw out a thousand bucks they're like yeah you know i'd pay 10x for that without blinking because you know this is going to go help our business save you know thousands of dollars a month or you know even millions of dollars a year right and so that was a big wake-up call for me it was like okay wow i've been really reluctant to take these calls uh, this guy was super eager to pay a thousand bucks a month. I thought he was going to say, well, that's crazy. It's only 50 bucks on your website. And he was like, yeah, you know, tell me, tell me where to send the money. Um, happy to do it. And so from that point, I was like, wow, you know, let's take some more calls. And, uh, you know, basically learn, learn sales the hard way then shoot overshooting on pricing, undershooting. I remember some customer came to me and said, you know, I want to do a billion APR request a day. I was like, that'll be a million dollars a month. And he, he like laughed and he's like, well, how about we pay you like 5K a month instead? And I was like, okay, then fine, you know? And so sort of, you know, learned, uh, pricing everything the, the, the hard way. That's awesome. So basically at that point, you're like, okay, there's an enterprise sale. I want to do that. And you kept going. You, you still have the self-service and the enterprise sale to this day on your business? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So exactly. So you know, at that point, we were seeing more and more demand for people would, would see our data on a website or an API and come to us and say, Hey, look, you know, we want to buy this data or, you know, we need, we need, sometimes it was, you know, we need a custom API or you know, we need a high volumes. Um, and you know, certainly we had some people that would want to jump on calls that just wanted to talk about the $50 plan. But I would say that 95% of those calls were, you know, people at large businesses that were more than happy to pay, you know, um, you know, a lot more than a thousand bucks a month for, you know, something that would actually solve their problem. They wanted to get on the phone to make sure, you know, are you legit? Are you a real company? You know, if we've got a problem, we're going to come to you because we're integrating this into an important piece of, of what we're doing. And so, you know, it's important to, to, for us to know, um, you know, that, that you exist as a human, that we can call you if there's a problem, that, you know, your, your data is good. Reassure us that, you know, um, that, you know, you're going to take us seriously as a customer. Um, and you're part of the motivation for that is we want to pay you enough that you are going to take us seriously if there's a problem, right? Because you're solving a real, real issue for us. And so, 
that was getting a lot of traction. At that point, it was still, you know, we still didn't sort of advertise, you know, the people would, these were customers that would just see our data and say, hmm, yeah, we need that. We want to come to and get it. Um, and then, yeah, you know, we, we still have the same model now, but obviously do a much better job of, you know, showing case studies and, and you know, have contact sales and everything on the website. But again, that all sort of happened very organically, right? A lot of this was sort of customer led of them noticing we've got great data, them saying, you know, I actually need something slightly different from your standard offering that you're listing on your website. And, and can we talk to you about how you might be able to help us? How was people finding you? Like, what kind of marketing were you doing? Like, I would imagine at this point, you're not just posting on Stack Overflow anymore. So Stack Overflow was surprisingly a, a big driver for a long time and, and still sort of is, right? And so I, the nice thing about Stack Overflow, I guess this applies to like any content or whatever, right? Is that you sort of do it once and it compounds over time, right? And so, you know, I, I know my stack overflow score is now but it's crazy and it just keeps going up right you know it's the you know all the sort of questions that i answered that are, you know what's the best way to get my location from an ip address in javascript or you know whatever these questions were um you know they get a lot of people searching for them um on stack overflow and on google going to the result and finding ip info and then upvoting us right and so there's, there's, you know we still get a lot of referrals and everything from stack overflow um even today the main driver, I think, for these companies wasn't the sort of the stack over developer thing. One thing we did that, that worked really effectively is is just you know Google SEO stuff, and so that wasn't for specific keyword terms, but it was for IP addresses. And so one way that we wanted to to showcase our data and the data that we had around IP addresses was just to create pages for those IP addresses. And so you know, say you know IP address, and you know here, this is an IP address in Seattle. It's you know on Comcast, and here's the data that we have around it. Um, and we did that to, to, to showcase the data we had. The really nice effect of that was we ended up with, you know, all these pages indexed in Google. And so, you know, even today, you know, if you search for a random IP address, um, we're often the top result. And, and then, you know, as sort of all the people with all the use cases, you know, if, imagine you're a cybersecurity analyst and you notice a bad IP address in your logs. You, one thing you might do is go Google it and your IP info will be the top result. And you'll click on it. And you're like, wow, uh, this is really useful information. I want this in my job and you know how do i get it how, how can i go get it and and you know reach out to us and and sort of start that process so what's the like the first oh shit moment from the early days of your business that come to mind so there are a few right and they've, they've been sort of you know the, the magnitude has increased over time i think one of the very first ones was i think when i got that email about the the server being overloaded right and thinking that's weird you know, and then checking the server logs, it was like, oh shit, you know, there's a lot of people using this, right? Like, like I thought, yeah, I might have a few developer friends that might find it useful, um, but there's a lot of people using it and, and some people using it a lot, which was, you know, okay, there's, there's, there's a real need here. You know, there's um, the, the amount of traction surprised me. So that was the first one. I'm like, okay, this, this is interesting. I'd massively underestimated how quickly it might start getting used and how much it would get used. So that was, that was a big one. You know, that email came out of the blue and like I said, I thought, well, a bug in my code or something's going wrong. <laughs> and like, oh shit, there's a lot of people using this. That's interesting. Um, I think the next big one was, was when Tesla signed up for the, the $200 plan, right? I mean, I added that $200 plan yeah. thought no one's going to pay 200 bucks for this, right? That I, I kind of hacked <laughs> together in a weekend and, you know, and then it wasn't just that it was someone paying 200 bucks, which I think would have been a low shit moment in itself. It was like, wow, it's Tesla, you know, like they're a, a company down the road from where I was living at the time, you know, that everyone was raving about the, the Tesla cars and Elon Musk. And so, you know, they're a company that was very much in the news, a company I admired. And to know that, you know, those guys were coming up and signing up for, for my API, that was like, wow, you know, that was a, a real ton of validation. And they're not just using it, they're paying for it, happy to pay for our, our biggest plan at the time. So that was, that was a huge one. 
I think they were the they were the sort of the, the, the two big ones. There's the one we've also touched on here, my lunch break, where I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, it's a thousand bucks. You know, I'm expecting he's like, okay, cool. You know, like hang up on me, get mad, and and you know, and get back to my lunch break. Um, and it's like, yeah, cool. You know, wh- where do I send the money? So that was a huge one. Uh, I think some, you know, and they, they they continued right. It's, it's you know, it's like when we got our first bigger enterprise customer. Yeah, you know, when we get the you know, when we get really great feedback from a customer, it's like wow, your your data's really blowing us away. You know, it's it's helped improved our you know whatever we're doing by twenty percent. You know, it's a game changer for us. I think every time you get one of those sort of new milestones, you get validation from a customer that you're really helping them. Um, you know, it's all like oh shit. You know, this is this is some really good stuff we're doing here. Yeah, that leads well to my next question. At what point do do you know? This is something that would last because like when you started, did you know, like this actual company that's going to last, it's going to employ people. At what point did you know that? That's a good question. I, I guess the that's constantly evolving because I think it always seems to last at a, you know, it, the thing that keeps this dynamic and that keeps changing is, is the scale that this can be. Right. And so I think, you know, once I launched it, it's like, well, hey, you know, I've still got some old websites up from, you know, the early 2000s or whatever, right? I mean, they can they can sit around and, and be there forever, but like in what form, right? And so I think once I launched the first version of the simple website, it's like, well, I'm probably going to keep this up, you know. Um, once it started getting some revenue, it's like, well, cool, you know, this will probably be a, you know, a website that will make money. You know? Once I was doing it full time, I think that's when I had some more questions of like, you know, how long can this sustain me as a, as a one-person company? I think, you know, it, it probably can indefinitely, but, you know, how long am I going to want to work on it? How long is it going to be interesting? These sorts of things. Um, you know, we're now well past that, right? So I think I, I had some conviction in that before I left to go and do it full time. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's clear to me that it will continue, you know, that IPinvo can be around for a long, long time. You know, I think the question is, well, you know, how much more can we, you know, can we grow? How many more customers can we help? You know, how big does the team need to be to support that? Um, and so I think, you know, I think, yeah, we're sort of, very early on, it seemed like it could be around and, and, and have a lot of success. But I think the sort of the scope and the scale of that continues to evolve as we learn more and find more customers and help them more, um, you know, and continue to do well. Nice. And so, like, when you left your job to do this full time, what was your biggest fear? That's a good question. So I think by the time I left to do it, I had eliminated any fears because, you know, and so, like, you know, it was like, well, you know, let, let, let's be, let's be sure before I go do it, you know, I got, you know, I, I just had a baby and everything. Right. And so it was like, you know, let's, let's eliminate some of those risks before I do it. I think some of the, the fears I wanted to eliminate before going to do it was, you know, can this be an enduring thing? Right. I don't want to go quit my successful job. And then this, this got up in flames in six months. Right. And so I wanted to get it to a point where I knew that it could be long-term and enduring. Um, and I knew that it could be a, a reasonable size opportunity. Um, and I knew that it could be fun and interesting, right? I knew that it's something that could, could you know, um, keep my attention, something that I'd want to work on um, and something that I'd want to focus on. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, you know, one of the biggest fears was, uh, you know, the thing that got me really excited was, hey, I get to, to create my own business. You know, I get to, you know, work on these fun problems. The fear was, you know, is this fleeting and, and you know, can it, can it be sustainable? And so I think, you know, that was, was sort of what I was working on and ensuring before I made that leap. And so I guess, you know, by the time I did that, it still wasn't clear, could it be a big enough opportunity or what these things, but it's like, okay, this is really good. This is going to be fun. This is going to last. Um, there's still a bunch of unknowns, but like the, the, that's the fear that's been eliminated, eliminated, right? This is something that, that, that can endure. 
That's a great strategy. And I think probably one of the biggest advantage of doing something as a side hustle, right? You really had time to work on. So like when you le left your job, you didn't have a lot of those fears uh, that so many times when you start something we have, because it's like, at that point, it's established business, Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's still smaller. And, and, but, and from the day that you got Tesla to the day you, you left your job, how long did that take? That was maybe, maybe 18 months to two years, I think. 18 months to two years. That's impressive because like you would think that like some people could overreact at that moment, right? Okay, I have Tesla. This is huge. Yeah. I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm doing this full time and, and I'm going to raise a bunch of money. You, you just really want to wait and make sure that was uh, something that you could bootstrap and they could live time. Yeah, totally. I think, yeah, I think that's, you know, the, 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 the fear thing is a good question because I think, you know, and in retrospect, that may have been the, the better move, right? That would have been, it would have been a riskier move, but, you know, knowing what we know today, um, you know, that could have been a smart move. We could say, hey, you know, let's go raise some money and you accelerate it. We could have even said, hey, you know, it's already making money. Let's just take a risk financially and, and, and go go kind of grow it. And I think, you know, that in some ways could have helped type info. You know, maybe be further along or, you know, all these types of things. Um, but, you know, there was a world that existed where it, it did fail and, oh, you know, i got to go back and get my old job or do whatever, right? And so, yeah, for me, that was the most important thing was let's eliminate that risk, right? Let's let's not get carried away. This is this is a really exciting development, right? This this is, is showing that it's got a lot of promise, um, but there's still a lot of risk. And so, yeah, like you say, you know, I, had a, I had a good job. I was enjoying my day job, you know, and so it wasn't, you know, you, you hear people doing side projects and like, oh, I hate my day job. You know, I just, I can't wait to, to break away and do my side project. I was loving my day job. You know, I was, I was, I was, it, was, it was a great job. I had a lot of interesting stuff to do. Um, and so, you know, there was, there was no rush for me, right? And, and it said, you know, it was, hey, I enjoy this. I want to keep doing my day job. This, this subproject has got a ton of promise. There's, there's no rush, you know. Um, this is something I want to, if, if, it, if it is going to be something I spend my time on, I want to spend a lot of time on it over a long time period. So, you know, we don't need to rush this. We can take our time. And once it got to that point where, okay, you know, this is clearly going to be sustainable long-term, someone I can invest my, my time and future in, um, then it was the right time to make the leap. And also maybe the engineer inside of you, right? It's the risking, it's the engineer mentality. Um, I'll make this step by step. Yes. And talking about the engineer mentality, how much do you actually get to write code nowadays? You you build version one. Now I have a company of 30 people. I imagine you have developers on your team. Do you actually still participate in building the product at this stage? So... That's been an evolution. So I, I would say a little bit. My engineering team might say not at all, but I like to think I still contribute a little bit. So um, the the bit that I... So obviously that first year was just me doing a bit of everything, right? And, and hiring on contractors to help with stuff. And everything at that point was mostly engineering and a, a bunch of sales calls, right? Um, and then you know, my role as CEO has shifted over time. So that's, you know, we're hiring more engineers and then I'm the only, I'm the whole sales team. So I'm doing more sales and then I've got a sales team. So I'm doing, you know, less sales and, and contributing in different ways and building up the team and all that sort of stuff. The, the first part of engineering I, I completely handed off was, was the website, you know, so all the, the front end stuff, you know, and, and, and building out a good engineering team that can, can, can manage that. Um, I think it was, uh, maybe about a year ago, I just turned off any GitHub notifications or anything for the website. So I don't even know what the website code looks like now, right? So for the longest time, even after I stopped writing code, I would still watch things, keep an eye on things and, and kind of, you know, follow along. Um, but I have no idea what the website code even looks like these days. You know, I just sort of, so, so not, not even got a toe in there. On the, on the, the data side of things, um, you know, I, I still lead the data team. Um, you know, I still kind of keep an eye on, on, on some of the stuff there. I occasionally do some prototyping or some, you know, some queries to, to look into the data. 
Um, but yeah, I have less and less time for that, right? And so I'm, while I'm still involved there, um, I imagine that the, the future isn't too far away where, you know, maybe I didn't even know what the, what the data code looks like. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, l less and less time. It's probably been, um, yeah, I can't think how long it's been since like, you know, I, I sat down and spent a day programming, but any sort of queries or, or code I do write is certainly, you know, sporadically squeezed between a few meetings these days for sure. Yeah, so where do you spend most of your time now? Like where the company is? It, it mixes and it's varied. So, you know, I, I spend you know, a, a, a past month, I spent a lot of time recruiting, you know, bringing on more data engineers. And so, you know, doing a lot of interviews, um, onboarding new people, you know, meetings with the data team. Uh, we actually did our first IPMFO team offsite uh, recently. Uh, all, got the whole team together in Portugal. So there's time prepping for that, a bunch of follow-up stuff for that. Um, we're doing sort of, you know, working on the, the company vision and values and, and, you know, following up around that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, more and more time is spent sort of on those types of activities, but it, it you know it varies. You know, it may be that okay, this month we've got to hire a bunch of people. Well, I'll jump in and and, and we'll do a bunch of hiring, or you know, next month we're going to have to start doing something else, and and so I might jump in there. Um, yeah, it, 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 and that's what keeps it really exciting, right? That it's constantly evolving. You know, my 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 job changes, um, you know, completely sort of every six months. There's a new focus. There's a, there's a new thing to to get stuck into, and that's, that keeps it really exciting. Yeah, that's the most exciting part about being the founder, for sure. I always doing a new job. What's the next most important thing yeah. for me to be doing? Totally. Uh, so let's say you could go back in time, like to that day that you just publish uh, your site for free, like you just did your final git push or whatever, how you publish that live, and you go meet yourself from that day. What do you tell yourself at that moment? Mm, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Yeah, so the, the the answer I want to give is nothing, right? That that you know, like, <laughs> hey, it's it, it it worked out great, and I wouldn't want to kind of change the, the the course of history. But I think if I've been given this opportunity to have a time machine, right, I should probably you know, um, probably probably impart some wisdom to myself. I mean, it, so if I if I had an actual time machine and I knew you know what the future would be, I think it would be around the risk piece, right? You, know, I, I do think you know one thing is 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 build this very iteratively to de-risk it. Um, and a lot of the worries are about risks that, that turned out not to be there, right? And I think that that cautious approach is still sensible and still serves me well and serves IPM for well because there'll be future risks that, you know, um, we, we want to avoid. But I do think knowing what I know now, you know, nine years later, uh, I could go back and say, okay, you know, the, some of these risks you're worried about aren't risks, and it's great you're being cautious, but go a little bit faster maybe. Yeah, that's definitely great advice. And I think that's advice that applies for you and apply for other founders that are starting their SaaS right now. But I like to, to ask that question that way instead of what we tell other people, yes. what you tell yourself. That's a great question. You know, and then, but that applies for everybody. Of course, you want to be careful, but sometimes you can take a little bit more risk. And so what book do you recommend for like other SaaS founders that you read that, that make, made a difference for you in where, you, where your company is now? Yeah, sure. One book that I... Is that, in general, I love reading um, like business biographies about successful businesses and, and founders and things like that, and you know, the history of companies. Uh, one I read recently that, that you know, a bunch of people have read um, is Shoe Dog. You're on the, the the founding story of, of of Nike. But one thing I really took from that, and that I take from a lot of sort of business biographies and, and early days of businesses, is that Nike really had no clue what they, not not no clue what they were doing, but no clue what they would become. Right. And, and this is sort of what feeds into my sort of bootstrap mentality and, and sort of iterate and improve on things in that, you know, in the early days, they didn't manufacture on their shoes. Right. They wanted to make the world's best running shoes and they imported them. 
and then you know they made some blue shoes and they went really well with denim and so you know and so they you know and then they were getting sued and you know almost died many times and i think you know anybody can look at a huge successful company today like nike right and say well you know uh, maybe someone sat down and said, you know, I'm going to create the world's biggest fashion brand and, you know, everybody will wear our clothes and, you know, and that would have been a great vision for the future of Nike. And some people have those types of visions, right? And, and you know, and, and go and raise VC money and, and, and it happens. But I think it's a lot rarer than um, these companies that are built up iteratively and just want to go and build the world's best running shoes and discover that actually there's a market for running shoes outside of runners and then discover that actually th- those people that buy their their run- you know, running shoes also want to wear jogging pants and that then they're just importing them they can go manufacturing them and that you know next thing you know nike's a hundred billion dollar business right and i think that that is probably true of most big successful businesses um and i think that I just take a lot of stock in, you know, that there are these companies like Nike where, you, you know, you could be like, wow, you know, how do they have this amazing vision? And, you know, there's, there's unquestionably, you know, a, a bunch of visionaries at Nike that have, have got the company to where it is, but they didn't have that on day one, right? They just wanted to create great running shoes um, and, and, you know, and continue to to refine that and build on that and have created this amazing brand and amazing business. Um, and I think that, you know, the same can be done with with tech companies and everything and, and you know, it's, it's an approach that has worked at a, a you know, way, way smaller scale for us. And I think that one that, that can work well for a lot of businesses, you don't necessarily need to have this, you know, the, 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 the whole sort of VC fundraising story is very much like, how can you create a billion dollar business? Um, it's great to think big, but I think lots and lots of billion dollar businesses can start from much more humble beginnings um, and, you know, think about, well, you know, what's a really big problem that we go solve? Running shoes suck. Well, let's go create great running shoes. And that can become a Nike today. And I think that's that's probably true in lots of industries and, and a great approach to to creating a business. Yeah, that's probably one of the best books I ever read. I, I like your knowledge. Like for you, when you read that book, you understood like how that vision was keep keep building on. And, and I love the book. But for me, when I read that book, I was like, that's the reason I'm never going to build a billion dollar company. Yeah, I feel like I don't have the stomach so many times that he almost run the company to the ground and I can't just be on the edge like he was. I feel like the guy had nerves of steel, you know, like I'm reading the book and I'm like getting my stomach. It's like, oh my gosh, this guy is crazy. And I know everything's going to turn out well because now it's a biography. But for me, it was like being a bootstrapper myself. I'm like, like I love business, but I don't think I can take the kind of risks that Phil Knight did. Yes. He is just like, it's amazing how he kept taking making bets after bets and it kept working out last minute for him it was so it was that, it was a roller coaster of a book and you know when, when he's about to get sued and you know it all came down to like well hey like i could be bankrupt or like we could be very successful and then and you know, I'm, you know like you're reading it it's painful you know and it all worked out and it's great but yeah there are many many cases where it, it could very easily have gone the other way yeah, and it's definitely one of those books that you get attached to the book that you can't put it down yeah. because it's such a great story of ups and downs and, and things are going well. Yeah, that's definitely a book that I think every founder should read too. So the the final question that I have for you, thank you very much for your time today. It's like you told me everything about the origin story of IP Info. I would love to hear from you. How do you feel like the future looks like? Where you guys are going now? Yeah, so I think you know, we're going to, you know, much like Shoe Dog and Nike, right? continue to evolve and, and, and you know, become more ambitious and want to solve more problems for our customers. I think that remains, um, we remain focused on IP address contextual data, right? And I think that, that we see a huge opportunity to continue to improve the quality of our data, 
um, you know, even though we've got your know, great industry leading data quality, the feedback from our customers is often, well, hey, if you can make this even better, it would help us even more. And so, yeah, that's something we're committed to doing is, you know, continue to refine our data. And say, so I've been, been busy recruiting a bunch of great data engineers to, to, to go to work on this and, you know, take our data that's already, you know, um, industry leading to, to, you know, to, to new heights, uh, continue to provide additional context. So, you know, um, like I said, we tell you where an IP address is, is it a VPN, is it a carrier? You know, the, 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 we can see um, opportunities get, get even deeper and more granular, you know, around, around contextual data that we can provide around IP addresses that help all our customers with all our use cases. And then it's about making our data easier to access as well. So, uh, you know, that, that was how we started right at the start, right, is we can download some data that's on the internet that anybody can use, but it's a huge pain to set up. And we said, well, let's make this really easy to access through, through a really developer-friendly API. Um, you know, today we offer our data as a download as well, but that, you know, that, that is useful in a bunch of situations. We offer it through a bunch of data marketplaces. Um, and, you know, we, we see a path to integrating our data into lots of different platforms and services so that if the user just wants that context, it should just be there for them. You know, they shouldn't have to jump through a bunch of hoops and, and go through pain, just like I didn't want to at the start of IPinfo of like, I just want to know where this IP address is in the world. You know, I, don't, I actually don't care about data downloads or APIs or whatever, right? I want to see my IP address on a map. I think that's true of lots of users of our data, right? They actually don't care about the details of how they get it. They just want to see it in their tool or in their solution or wherever it might be and, and, and get them to do their job. And so we're really committed as well to making it easier to access our data, embedded in more platforms and services. I think that opens up our data to, you know, beyond developers and data analysts and all these things to a much broader market of people that, you know, want, want to just operate on. And so I think we see a, you know, a huge opportunity around that of, you know, making our data better, making it available to more customers, um, and, you know, just, just more deeply understanding um, the internet and IP addresses and creating data and solutions and products around that. Um, and I think there's yeah a huge market for that. And so you know, we'll continue to expand, continue to um, invest heavily in that and, and hopefully continue to attract customers and, and, and help them with, with you know, all of the problems. That's great. I'm sure you will. Thank you very much for, for sharing your vision with us and for sharing this story of IP Info. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for the opportunity. Great chatting with you. SaaS Origin Stories is brought to you by DevSquad. To find out more about how we help entrepreneurs launch new products and help larger businesses plug in a ready-to-go development team, visit devsquad.com. Add us to your rotation by searching for SaaS Origin Stories in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click follow so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening and remember, every SaaS hero has an origin story.